those are two really key words. Unity, the sacrament of his people's corporate unity with himself and with each other. And then baptism, the sacramental rite of initiation. So initiation and unity are really key words. The form is changing, but the reality of God's reign and people coming under that reign or being excluded from that reign is still present. You're listening to the Holy Joys Podcast, co-hosted by Jonathan Arnold and Dr. David Fry. Visit us at holyjoys.org and stay tuned for weekly discussions of theology and ministry practice, all for a holy, happy church. This is, I think, the strongest connection we have between kingdom and church, because we have, Mm -hmm. I'm going to build my church when the church gathers, and in both cases, it's to exercise kingdom authority, right? Right. The keys of the kingdom, what binding and loosing. And then he's going to go on now, and he's going to connect all of this to the sacraments, right? Mm -hmm. With provision made for the permanent memorial of redemption in the Holy Supper, the sacrament of unity and baptism, which is the sacrament of initiation. So before you get to baptism, uh, he... Uh, he mentions – it is interesting first that he mentions uh, the Holy Supper before baptism. Uh, that's interesting. But that he uh, he says provision was made for what he calls the permanent memorial. Um, now, by per- permanent, uh, he means you know, it's, it's, it's lasting the life of the church. Um, but I find it interesting that he uh, here – is emphasizing memorial or that that's becomes a primary uh, term for uh, the Holy Supper. And of course that is the emphasis both in the gospels as well as in first Corinthians uh, 11 uh, on, you know, do these things in remembrance of me. So there is a, is, is a strong uh, emphatic, but note here that that's also commonly associated with a particular uh, uh, Protestant understanding of the sacraments and that he's aligning himself with that sort of, uh, and we'll see what he does. You know, is he aligning himself with a more of a Zwinglian or a Calvin uh, Calvinist reformed? We'll see that play out here as he gets to the sacraments, but uh, that, that alone, that emphasis alone places him, you know, outside of say the, or at least I, it would be an indicator to me that he's going to, go a different direction than Luther and certainly a different direction than the Roman Catholic church. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think all the Protestants would acknowledge a memorial aspect. Well, sure. um, Sure. Even in their confessions, but um, Pope in his section on the sacraments stresses that it's more than a memorial. Uh, He really emphasizes the, the undervaluation of the sacraments, which Mm -hmm. uh, he thinks is due to ignorance or, yeah. Um, just a lack of understanding. And, and so I, I think, yeah, I don't see Pope here as his view being characterized by, by the memorial aspect. Yeah. In the way yeah. I think, I think what, I guess I could conclude my comments on that here by just saying he's going to Anglicanize this as, as we go through. Uh, so, yeah. uh, yeah, he's still not, you know, he's not going to be Roman in his understanding, but uh, he is going to come back. But I find that an interesting, I, I don't know, I should call this an introduction, but the, the first mention of this, because one of the things that Pope does is he will 
often introduce something and come back to it. And so I'm wondering how this is going to relate to what he has to say later. And I'm, I'm just wondering if maybe this is not a, a really the best of his introductions to the sacraments. Yeah, maybe I love, I see. So this is where I was going to jump ahead to. This is what I think he's doing here. We, he's been talking about the kingdom, mm-hmm. the way that the church relates to the kingdom and how Matthew 16 and 18 form the link between those two things. Now he brings in the sacraments and he emphasizes unity and initiation, but these things are in relationship to the covenant and to the ancient rite of circumcision. Mm-hmm. So I, mm-hmm. I think what Pope is saying here is the church is where the reign of God is present and the church is entrusted with this responsibility to bring in and to exclude to, to bring in to exclude members just as ancient Israel had its rights for bringing people in through circumcision and uniting them in the Passover mm-hmm. meal. Yeah. And yeah. so he makes provision for his new community to have the same kind of rights because the it's it's the form is changing, right? This is the mm-hmm. key. The form is changing, but the reality of God's reign and people coming under that reign or being excluded from that reign is still present. And so it requires visible signs and sacraments. Mm-hmm. And so I think you're you're right. Pope intentionally prioritizes the, the supper because to be one body, to for this congregation to form, it has to have one bread. We are one body because we share one bread. And then once that body is formed, individual members can come into it through baptism. But this is bringing all of that, right? The sacraments bring together the old, the old covenant people of God with the new covenant people of God united in, mm-hmm. uh, in signs of, of initiation and union under God's reign. Yes. Yeah. So those two, those are two really key words, unity, the sacrament of his people's corporate unity with himself and with each other. All right. So there's a two focus, two part unity and then baptism, the sacramental rite of initiation. Uh, So initiation and unity are really key words. And then he, he moves to another idea that touches on something that you mentioned earlier. Uh, he says the new congregation or church was, as it were, formally consecrated to God by its head, that's Christ, in what may be called the high priestly prayer. That's John 17. Interestingly, was it, were, were you the one who did this or does he do this? Uh, where and Maybe it's just in that phrase, formally consecrated to God, that recalls Solomon's dedication yeah. to the temple, right? And yes, that that's what I think he's doing here is he's mm-hmm. portraying Jesus again as the new Solomon, which links back to, I will build my church. Right. That's right. What the Davidic king does. Yes. Yes. And so John 17, which I had never thought of it in this way, but John 17 is a sort of recapitulation of Solomon's dedicatory prayer and you know, building construction of the temple and then his consecrating it of it to God. That's what Jesus now is doing with the church. Uh, he's, he's about to build the church and he's going ahead and he's consecrating it 
to to God as well. And of course, in that prayer, we you, you know the prayer. He prays for his disciples, right? He prays for unity, right? He prays for mm-hmm. unity among his believers. That's sort of a a point of emphasis uh, in that prayer, also. Yeah. So I want to go back just for a second before we move on because I'm still wrestling with why does Pope say provision was made for the permanent memorial of redemption. And I wonder if this comes back to Pope's emphasis that the church is the sphere and organ of the spirit's administration of redemption. Mm-hmm. So his his point here is not to stress the memorial nature of the sacraments. I don't think yeah. that's what yeah, yeah. stress that this is the product of and the visible manifestation, the fruit of Christ's accomplished redemption. So I wonder if the the word to lean into there mm-hmm. is redemption rather than memorial. Yeah, yeah, probably so. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. So then he he continues it with that prayer in the section there where he's speaking about John 17, and then he talks about Jude 1. Uh, the emphasis there is on unity. He kind of goes back, kind of double clicks on that that idea of unity, which he brings up in the Holy Supper, and you know prays that that we would be one, that we would be made perfect in one, uh, both the spiritual and eternal unity of perfection. Oh, interesting here. I think this is interesting. He gives the analogy of the Trinity. Right? He says. Of the church, you know, that spiritual and eternal unity perfection of which the highest type is to be sought, though it can never be found in the interior relations of the Trinity. That the Trinity is the perfection, the the eternal reality of the of the um, of the unity which Christ prays for the church, uh, of which we can only be a um, a creaturely manifestation of, right? So, th- so he's grounding the unity of the church in the unity of the Godhead. And I-, I like how he does this. Of course, modern theologians have tried to do all sorts of things with Trinitarian theology to try to find grounding for different understandings of how believers relate or the nature of the church and so on. Uh, I think he does it in a pretty simple and and really actually pretty concise uh, manner. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I have tried to do that before, but not as concisely as what he does. Yeah, that little phrase, though it can never be found, is really important mm-hmm. for me. I get very uncomfortable, as you know, with what some mm-hmm. contemporary theologians have tried to do. I know the whole issue of social Trinitarianism is very confusing and convoluted, and, and everybody is sure what they even mean by that phrase, mm-hmm. right? There's right. different forms of so-, so I know it's a little simplistic to just out of hand dismiss social Trinitarianism, but I, but there are at least some forms of social Trinitarianism that try to almost ground the distinction of the persons in their relationships, right? Like I thou mm-hmm. relationships yeah, yeah. rather yeah. than the relations of origin, right? Nicene Trinitarianism. Oh, right. mm-hmm, and, and, mm-hmm. and that's what makes me really uncomfortable when we're sure. drawing this like psychological model of the Trinity and and then trying to like project that on to the church when really it seems like what we're doing is almost projecting human existence onto the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I do recognize that in some way the church is the image of God. 
the image god were like him in certain ways. So I have right, in here right. my my notes um, analogous, right? This is analogous, right. an analogous unity. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think I had any further comments on section three. Uh, do you have anything else to wrap us up on paragraph three? Just this is probably the strongest statement that Pope makes about the the fact that the church is something new. This mm-hmm. is kind of where, you know, before he's he's pointed out the newness of the name and of the community. Uh, but now he really says um, the savior in the gospels is is he's he's thinking future. Mm-hmm. Uh, when he talks about the church, he's really looking yep. forward. Right. Right. And that's a helpful corrective for me. I think he's right about that. And, and yet, I want to say that when Jesus says, I will build my church, there's a sense in which he's already been building the church through his ministry and even in the Old Testament. Because there's still a sense in which the Old Testament people of God are the church in the broadest sense, mm-hmm. the ecclesia. Mm-hmm. And so it's not something totally new. Mm-hmm. So there's definitely a future emphasis. I don't think we need to say it's something completely future because there are some theologies of the church that really want to stress that. So I don't think we need to say that, but I think this is a helpful corrective that at least the, the emphasis Christ's primary Mm -hmm. focus is on something yet, Mm -hmm. yet to be, Mm -hmm. to be formed. Yeah. I I don't think it's really dissimilar to, you know, the apostle John saying, you know, I give you a new commandment. It's an old one, but I give you a new one. Right. Yeah. That's helpful. Oh, that's really helpful. Okay. Uh, And then in section four, again, he says, you know, was not founded as a corporate institute, um, but in another sense, okay, but so here's basically the point I was trying to make. In another sense, he was laying its foundation during the whole of his earthly ministry. Uh, Mm -hmm. He left a large body of instruction, which waited only for for Pentecost. And, um, And then he makes this statement about how the germs and principles uh, of ecclesiology are found in the gospels. I think the statement that uh, in this section is uh, that I have marked that I want to draw attention to is we shall find that this holds true in a very remarkable degree concerning the doctrine of the new church or kingdom. So this to me, I think is one of the strongest statements that Pope makes concerning the near identity of church mm-hmm. and kingdom. And I think that's because, uh, as he mentions down the, about three lines below that, as he, he's giving a list here of, of the Savior's teaching, and that includes the principles of his own government in it. So the reason he can call the church the kingdom, and uh, again, I don't think so much a, an identical sense as much as a, almost a, a more of a predication uh, is because it is the sphere of his government. Uh, it is a manifestation of his, of his rule in the world. It's the Westminster confession, right? That says the visible church is the kingdom mm-hmm. of Christ. Do you think Pope would affirm that? And in what sense, yeah. how would he interpret that? Yeah, I, mean, I, th- I think he would. He would just say it. It is. It is to. It is to the world what our bodies are. 
So when someone says, hey, where is Jonathan Arnold? Uh, they are thinking, okay, Jonathan Arnold is, you know, sitting in his office in Pennsylvania because that's where his body is, right? And so I, I think it's similar to that. Where is the kingdom of Christ? Well, it's it's there. See, there are there are the believers who are assembled. You know, that's that's the and yet we know that there is uh, much more to personhood than physical manifestation. And so we also know, and, and this will bear out in his, uh, in the rest of what he has to say here, uh, there is more than the visible manifestation, uh, which the church is. And so that's why he does affirm the visible and invisible. And there are people, you know, in ecclesiologies today, they tend to lean toward one or the other in their mm-hmm. emphasis. And he is consciously trying to strike that balance between the right. two and so he's he will make some statements that seem to be very strong one way or the other and we have to understand it comprehensively as he is he is trying to traverse that line that includes both that says that, that one is not actually more important than the other uh, yeah. that you, you have to have the the visible and the invisible. Uh, just like you, we have you know, body and, and spirit or body and soul. Thank you for listening to the Holy Joys podcast. Email your questions to podcast at holyjoys.org and they may be featured on a future episode. Our labors for a holy, happy church are supported by generous listeners like you. Please pray about partnering with us at holyjoys.org forward slash donate.